Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Sometimes I wonder why we dig into that first release of Yahoo information, whether it's pre-ranks or ADP, because it always changes so dramatically within the first two to three weeks that the numbers exist that you kind of look at it like, what are we even doing here? But at the same time, I believe, and I think you guys probably agree, that it's really important to know what direction someone's moving. If you know what direction they're moving, you have a better idea of where they're going to end up. And obviously, the later that you draft, the more things can settle prior to your draft. You'll have a better idea of where guys are actually going on your draft day. But boy, I'll tell you, if you're messing around right now, these players are all over the map. I did did a mock draft last Friday, as you may recall, and it went almost exactly the way Yahoo's preseason ranks went. And then I did a mock draft yesterday on Thursday for today's podcast prior to the Donovan Mitchell trade coming down. And I log into the the draft room, and Yahoo's completely revamped their preseason ranks. No fanfare at all, but all of a sudden the names are just all over the map. Big, big changes. Huge ones. So now all of a sudden, we have three really important things to go over, and I'm not going to do them all on one podcast because it's just too much damn information. It's still the off-season. I don't think, frankly, I don't think you guys want a 55-minute podcast right now. So we'll break it all down. We have three big things to cover. Thing to cover number one, mock draft. And that's probably what we'll end up doing today. Thing number two, Donovan Mitchell is a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers as Utah continues to blow things up. I ran a poll on Twitter yesterday asking if you guys wanted me to cover the Donovan Mitchell trade or the mock draft, and most of you actually said the trade. But a couple of you astute followers actually replied to me. It was actually more than one to mention, you know what, Dan, as much as I'd love to hear you talk about the Spida trade, maybe you wait a little bit. Because Utah seems fairly well-destined to move off of Boyan Bogdanovich. Expiring contract, that should be a pretty easy one to move, I would think, sooner than later. Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, those guys each have this season and another on their contract, so it's a little bit harder to move. But you know they're trying to anyway, because with Rudy Gobert gone, and now Donovan Mitchell gone, that team is a total cluster mess. They brought in seven, didn't they bring in seven first-round picks? in those trades, and like two or three pick swaps, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yeah, three swaps, seven firsts, and a whole bunch of young-ish players, one very old player who they already shipped off to the Lakers for young player, and they're not done. So trying to figure out what Utah is in the aftermath of this trade is still kind of impossible. Brought in Larry Markinen, brought in Colin Sexton, and immediately signed him to a four-year deal. We're starting to get an idea of who's going to be around. You replace Donovan Mitchell's 20 shots a game with Sexton probably taking about 20 shots a game. Markinen, you know, this trade, actually, you probably brought in more usage than you sent out, believe it or not. You could 
somehow wrap your head around that. It's split up in a different way, but if you were hoping that Taylor Horton Tucker was going to just magically slot into a gigantic starting role, I don't think that that's set yet, especially not with three veterans left to move. And then they brought in Malik Beasley. If he's around, he's going to take a bunch of shots. Walker Kessler might be the starting center on that team by the time this is all said and done. Markinen might be the starting power forward. We don't know what's going to happen with Jared Vanderbilt, who's being treated like a veteran, even though he's still quite young. Anyway, uh, we'll circle back around to the Donovan Mitchell trade. Here's the thing. If we had put out a podcast yesterday, right after the trade happened, that's one of those things where maybe you sort of catch the wave of interest among the public. You know, you drop a link on Twitter, people are like, oh, I, I want to listen to this right now. By the next day, who cares? And at that point, we might as well just wait a little bit longer. So that's what we're going to do. We'll wait a little bit longer on the Donovan Mitchell trade. The Yahoo pre-rank shift, I don't really want to wait that long. So if I had to guess, right this second, today we're going to cover a mock. Monday we're going to cover the pre-rank shift. Tuesday we'll loop back around to Utah. Well, Cleveland and Utah. Because Cleveland just added a whole bunch of playmaking. That changed their backcourt quite a bit. Changed their frontcourt a little bit too. Because we didn't, we don't know when Sexton is actually going to be coming back and playing healthy. And then with Markinen, you clear out 30-ish minutes per ball game that... He's kind of playing at the small forward at time. Remember, they were going huge, huge, huge. Lowry Markinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen on the floor at the same time. The three big. Anywho, all that fun stuff aside, or not fully aside, welcome to the podcast. A lot going on in the NBA right now. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, everybody. Rumbling into September with a really nice first day under our belts. Excited is the word I would use to describe myself. That more of you are again starting to slowly inch your way back into paying attention to Fantasy NBA. And then we roll immediately into a holiday weekend. So I don't know when the hell folks are going to be listening to this show. That's the other problem with Monday. We'll do a show on Yahoo's preseason ranks, but ain't nobody going to be around. Enjoy your vacations if you're taking them. We're going to do our shows anyway, because damn it. We do five shows a week, forever. It's not, I can't promise it, but it certainly is a goal, and it's one that we've been able to keep to this point. Okay, so a mock draft. We did another mock draft. Yahoo's preseason ranks completely adjusted. I Like, I, I check it every single day, and then for whatever reason, I signed myself up for a mock draft first thing in the morning, didn't look at the pre-ranks yet, dropped in there, and then, what? At the top of my head, blown clean off. If you would like to follow me, I am on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Would love to hang out with you over there. I do answer a lot of Twitter questions, a lot of them, over the course of the year. We do storms, tweet storms all the time. I'd like to think that I was kind of at the cutting edge of a lot of that stuff. Now everybody's like, oh, this is how you develop a Twitter following. You do these threads. And I'm like, yeah, you do. I did that joint four years ago. Now everybody's trying to do it. Often imitated, never duplicated. The Dan Vespers treats, tweet storm. Look, I, you know, I toot my horn every once in a while on this show. I try to be very fair, but come on, you guys know. We did it first, or not first first, but pretty early on. Like hipster level early. That's fair. So, mock draft. 
the adjustments weren't really so much at the top in the preseason rank board, but then you see the same stuff happen to most of them. Obviously, Nikola Jokic went one, but immediately things start to shift a little bit. Giannis went two in this mock draft, and so now you're looking at it like, okay, is this team going to be leaning into a punt build? I think most folks in mock drafts are thinking about their head-to-head leagues, and that's fine. That's the way we'll interpret it. KD went three. I'm good with that. Luka went four. Not surprisingly. Again, Giannis and Luka, they always go earlier than people plan. Joel Embiid went five, which actually now makes him maybe the biggest value in the first round. James Harden went six. A lot of love for Harden in this group. Trey Young, seven. Cat, eight. Steph Curry, nine. Pretty amazing that Steph falls to nine. Jason Tatum at 10. That was me. I try not to really target guys in these mock drafts because I'm more interested in where they would go if I didn't take them. So look at my team with that grain of salt. I am not doing any reaching whatsoever. I am taking players at the very top of the pre-rank list that I'm okay with. But I'm not doing the targeting thing. That's not the way you learn what everybody else is doing. Take your own guy off the board 12, 13 picks too early. You don't know where they would go. LaMelo Ball went 11, Dame went 12. No huge surprise there. We figured Dame would be creeping his way up into the turn because, I mean, he's Dame. He was way too early. Anthony Edwards went 13. I have no idea what happened there. Until I look back and notice that his pre-rank actually got adjusted up to 25. Still, 13 is very early. I get it. He's not going to make it back to you at 36 with his new pre-rank, but geez. Anthony Davis, let's knock the Anthonys off the board, went at 14. This is what we talked about in that range. Dame, where's Kyrie, though? Where's LeBron? Well, LeBron went off the board here at 15. Really surprising. I don't think he generally will fall that far, but if he does, that's a really nice get. Kyrie Irving at 16. Tyrese Halliburton at 17. Expect him to start going earlier and earlier. We told you a month ago he was going to be the hype guy and to keep an eye on his ADP. Well, it is rocket boosting out of the roof of the building now. Tyrese Halliburton's ADP has jumped all the way to 21.9 as of their adjustment first thing this morning. Remember, they they adjust ADPs every single day. It's not like the pre-ranks where they do it every once in a while. So Halliburton now... I think he's 20th name off the board. I know the ADP is 21.9, but I believe that makes him the 20th player off the board and rising. He was outside the top 25, then he was 23, now he's 20. 20. I don't know where that's going to stop. Anyway, back to the mock draft as we continue to stumble through this thing. Uh, So Halliburton went at 17, John Moran at 18, still too early for my taste. He got paired with Trey Young in this one. Interesting combo. Uh, DeJounte Murray went at 19. Kind of surprising. Although it does seem like his fantasy prospects have actually bounced back just the tiniest bit. I'm not sure if I know exactly why they've done so. Uh, But I do know that Yahoo now has made an internal adjustment to kind of reflect some of that. Well, what you got with DeJounte Murray was that everybody was like, okay, well, he got traded alongside Trey Young, so we have to adjust him way down the board. 
And they adjusted him down the board all the way to the middle of the third round, where I said, look, I think this is probably fine if you want to roll the dice on it. I believe I said that on yesterday's podcast, even, as we were talking about guys going in the third. Well, now he's right at the edge of the second round. He's number 25, so sort of the second turn, if you want to call it that. And he seems to be bouncing back up the board. So from like 28, 29 range, now at 25, seems like he's trending up. If he was a risky play at 28 or 29, he's, he's moving into extraordinarily risky now. That's an interesting one, to see that kind of rebound effect on DeJounte Murray. We thought he was falling into the mid-third. Now it looks like he might be moving back uh, up into the late second. Demonis Sabonis was next off the board at number 20, which, meh, a little early, but, you know, not the end of the world here, especially with all the names moving around right now. Uh, Devin Booker at 21. I actually like him there. That's a good spot. Darius Garland, this mock draft member, was before the trade went down. He went at 22, but he will likely be falling. Donovan Mitchell went at 23. He will also probably be falling a little bit. DeMar Rosen at 24. Surprised the hell out of me because his ADP was in the low 30s. He's moved up to 29.3. His ADP a little bit on the up. But you know what? This actually brings our topic from yesterday's show back into view. Because this is a team that's now on the secondary turn, pick 24. You pretty much can choose anyone you want because you're pairing with Nikola Jokic here. But let's try to forget that for a minute. Don't even think about the pairing element. What this player is doing is looking at the board and saying, okay, I can pretty much wipe out the next dozen maybe even a tiny bit more, guys on the pre-rank sheet. I'm at pick 24, and if I wipe out a dozen, that covers, I believe, DeMar DeRozan. I don't know where the hell he's ended up with pre-rank. Oh my god, he's moved all the way up to 21. So obviously that covers DeMar. But it also covers pretty much the entirety of the third round pre-rank board. So if you have DeRozan ranked higher than those guys... This is where you just go get him. I personally don't. I don't agree with this particular selection in the mock draft, but I understand it. Just the way he took Bam Adebayo at 25, although he's pretty much been getting... This is his spot. He's been going at the end of the second round. It's probably fine. It's not my favorite play there either. After Adebayo comes Pascal Siakam, which... I think we're probably okay with there. Still not my favorite play. There's some names that I've talked about on this show a few times already that are slipping far at this point. Paul George uh, at 27 now, which is way later than we've been seeing him go. George has generally been getting drafted in the 20 range, and that is where his ADP still is. He's like 18, 19, 20 area. I don't know what the hell was going on here. Again, head-to-head league, so people are probably afraid of it, but by middle of the third round, to not see PG off the board was fairly surprising, but there he goes. Shea Gilgis-Alexander at 28. He's probably going to be falling. We've seen him falling. He was at the end of the second round. He's moved back into the third now. Kawhi Leonard at 29. I get it. He's going to miss games, but even if you assume Kawhi misses one game every single week, he's better than about a dozen players that were drafted in front of him right here. Because you can look at totals. Totals tells you what's going on with Kawhi. In fact, Kawhi, much as in head-to-head leagues you're going to hate to hear this, is probably safer 
than some of the guys that have come off the board in front of him because his missed games tend to come one at a time. The backbreaking stuff is when you get a guy that just misses the entirety of a playoff week. Kawhi's not going to be in shutdown mode. He's in rest mode all season long. So a four-week game out of Kawhi becomes three. But guess what? Three games out of a first-rounder is generally better than four games out of a third-rounder. I know, it sounds insane, but the totals by ranking bear that out. Don't look at last year, because he didn't play, but look at the year before. Kawhi Leonard played 52 out of 72 ball games that year. He was number six per game. He was number nine by totals. He was so good that he stayed ahead of almost everybody behind him including many players that played far more games than he did. And a great comparison would be, look at someone who had, uh, like Luca is actually a pretty good example. He played 66 out of 72 games that year, but he was number 35. Or Julius Randle, crap, he played 71 out of 72 games that year. Want to know where Julius finished? 15. 15. Where did Luca finish that year? 26. That's the gap between the first and the third round. Julius Randle played, effectively, every single ball game that year. He basically played one more game than Kawhi Leonard every single week. I think there were actually fewer than 20 regular season weeks because of the shortened schedule, but this is actually favoring our argument even more. Randle played basically more than one more game than Kawhi Leonard every single week all season long and Kawhi beat him handily 9 to 15 I know it sounds relatively close but you know the gap in those upper crust guys is like there's a pretty good hole between each player you need to be every game that Randall plays there maybe he gains like two-thirds of a game on Kawhi he basically needed to play like another seven games to catch him which you obviously could not do. That would be six games more than the entire regular season. And I'm not saying I'm not advocating for Julius Randle here. Ugh, far from it. But if you're looking at some of these other guys around Kawhi, and you're like, okay, well, my other choice here, maybe I go, uh, I don't know, Nikola Vucevic, who I actually also like this year as a late third-round pick, he's probably going to be a guy who's in the third round on a per-game basis, like he was last year. He was number 29, and he was pretty damn durable. He played in 73 out of 82 games. But if you compare him to someone like LeBron, who played in... How many games did LeBron play in this last year? It's actually not that great of a comparison, but actually works out okay. LeBron missed 26 games. Vooch missed 9. LeBron still beat him. 16 games to 18. Or sorry, 16th ranked to 18th ranked. So if you're talking about a first-rounder versus a third, a third-rounder can basically play in one additional game every single week. And they still won't catch a first-rounder. And the reason that that last one is even close is because uh, Vooch was number 29. He wasn't even in the 30s yet. Like he, was a, he was an early-to-mid third-rounder per game. So Kawhi falling into the third round is kind of wild. Uh, again, this is pick 29, which is right where 
Vooch ended up last season. Anyway, Freddie Van Fleet at 30, another really easy play to make in the third round. Second rounder per game, most likely. Probably doesn't miss quite as many games as Kawhi. Rudy Gobert at 31, he's going to be a tough one to play this year. You know, I've been a big Rudy guy for the last two or three seasons in a row. Um, he probably does mostly Rudy things this coming year. Minnesota traded for him with a plan in place, but there is a little bit of fear there for me. It's just, you know, Utah built everything around him just being the last line of defense and the only guy that moves around near the rim. They're going to have to move him away from the bucket every once in a while on offense to make sure that Cat can go that way or Anthony Edwards can go that way. There just needs to be a little bit more room because the guys on Minnesota can actually go to the bucket. Anthony Edwards in particular, Cat also, can operate closer to the rim. Utah didn't really have that. Bogdanovich wasn't close to the rim. Donovan Mitchell was, I guess, like the closest thing you could get to saying someone is in that range. It's going to be different. Jalen Brown at 32 is very much not my favorite play there. Brown was in the 60s last year. I don't know what the hell he's doing in the 30s. He hasn't been super durable in his NBA career. He's got that nagging knee stuff that always crops up. If you thought he fixed his free throw percent, that could move him up a little bit. But 60s to 30s is a big jump for a guy who's kind of already made a lot of his career adjustments. Vooch at 33. I like it. Jimmy Butler fell to 34 in this draft. This is the same problem. I don't need to have the same discussion again as we did with Kawhi. But, uh, what? Jimmy Butler, I know he missed 25 games last year. That's about as bad as it's going to get. I just can't figure. I mean, he was 32 by totals last year, missing a third of the season, almost. If he plays in even a handful more games than that, he just blows this draft position out of the water. I don't think this is where he ends up in most drafts. Jimmy Butler is still uh, pre-ranked early enough, I believe. Well, now i got to figure out where the hell Yahoo moved him to. 28? Ugh. I'd still take the... I'd, I'd draft the crap out of Jimmy Butler at 28, but to see him here in the in the early 30s is just mind-boggling. Cade Cunningham at 35. Uh, he's someone who's on the move up the board, which I think is a dangerous play, actually. Not that I don't like Cade, um, but he was in the 90s last year. Actually, did he finish at 90s? Was it 90s? Yeah, he was in the 90s last season. I'm remembering that right. A few things stick in my head. He was number 90. Uh, and yeah, you'll see the usage continue to creep up. Like, there's a lot of good stuff about his fantasy game. He gets some blocks. But ultimately, he is profiling like a shooting guard. And we've had this discussion countless times on the podcast. Who are the top fantasy shooting guards in the NBA? Not guys that play shooting guard, but guys with the shooting guard fantasy stat set. I'll give you a clue. There are none... Inside the top 14. If you want to fudge the numbers a little bit. Look, there's definitely none inside the top dozen from this last year. None of those guys has a shooting guards fantasy game. Steph Curry would be kind of the closest. But uh, also he hits a million three-pointers and his assists are typically higher than your average shooting guard. Kyrie, kind of the same general idea. Uh, those guys 
are point guards, six assists roughly or higher. If you want to fudge the numbers a little bit, you could say someone like uh, Jimmy Butler at 15 has kind of a shooting guard stat set, but also crazy free throw value, good field goal value, which is not typical of a shooting guard, and also no three-pointers, but kind of higher rebounds and higher assists. Paul George also sort of neighbors on that shooting guard stat set. I would argue the first one is Devin Booker. Booker is kind of the first one you look at, and you're like, this is a shooting guard fantasy stat set. Sub five assists per game, decent threes, good scoring, good free throw, and field goal anywhere from a very small negative to a much larger one. Meaning that if you want Cade to get anywhere near Devin Booker, he's got to first ramp up his usage from 16 shots to about 20. He also needs to increase his field goal percent and his three-point shooting. It's a lot to do season over season. It's doable, but I think more likely you see Cade move from 90 to more like 40-50 range, which is kind of where Donovan Mitchell hung out for a while before he made a little shooting guard leap this last year. He did it with steals. Cade actually already has pretty good steals numbers, although, again, you could see them need to get a little bit higher, 1.2, maybe to get him in that 1.5 range. And Cade might get you a few extra assists because he is doing a lot of ball handling. Although Detroit added some more of that. Also, it's just too early for me on Cade. This early in his career, it's a little bit too early for me. I think he probably maxes out near that Devin Booker range. But if the blocks continue to rise and his field goal percent gets up into the 45 to 47 range someday, he could sniff the first round. I just don't think we're that close to it yet. Let's ramp up the speed a little bit here because we're about 25 minutes in on this thing. Drew Holiday went at 36. It's a little earlier than he's been going. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with it because he's someone that I've kind of been targeting in the mid-fourth round as a really easy grab there. So, nice pick, guy who also took Anthony Edwards at 13. Um, Time Lord at 37. I dig it. Evan Mobley at 38. Um, his ADP is 42. So, you know, if this is where you want to take him, this is where you're going to have to take him. I'd like to see the free throw get a little bit better, but he's also, he has the potential to be a transcendent defensive talent. So I'm sort of okay with it here. I might go a slightly different way just because of a couple names still hanging out, but not a massive issue with Mobley in the fourth round. Chris Paul went at, what the hell is this, 40, 41? No, sorry, 39. Wow. If Chris Paul is going in the fourth round, I think you know I'm going to have him on every single damn fantasy team again. And his his Yahoo pre-rank is not going up. Drew Holiday, Time Lord, Chris Paul. There's a chunk of dudes right there that are going to be easy to pick from in the mid to late third, even into the early fourth. Darren Fox at 40. I do not like this pick. Sam, I am. Zach Levine at 41, that's fine. Bradley Beal fell all the way to 42, which I get it. He had a terrible season last year. Uh, but even awful Bradley Beal is going to be you know, top 60 or better per game, and he's going to be playing hard this season because the Wizards are going to be actually trying to win. If he falls this far, I'm totally fine with going Beal. I didn't like him when, he, when his ADP was in the 20s, but if this is the start of his ADP falling off the table... And by the way, it has already dropped to 27.1, which I believe put him, where the hell did I set this now? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 26th off the board. If that keeps falling into the 30s the way it looks like maybe it could, 
then suddenly he moves back onto our board that I thought we never would take even a look at him. Uh, Miles Turner at 41, it's uh, a dangerous one because if he ends up in L.A., his minutes are no longer guaranteed. He'll play plenty, but it'll be a, a very different role. Um, he tends to level things off with blocks anyway, but again, different role. Scotty Barnes at uh, 40, I lost track, 2? Uh, 44, I think that's 44 now. Yeah, that's a little too early for me on Barnes. Zion at 45, you have to have a particular build for that one to make sense. Whoever drafts Zion is going to be leaning into some kind of build. Chris Middleton at 46, extraordinarily safe play, and basically the f- the last of the uh, falling old men here. Before you get into DeAndre Ayton at 47, that's a perfectly reasonable spot for him. He was going too early in a lot of drafts, but maybe this is the start of an Ayton drop-off. ADP of 36.3 as of this morning, so this is pretty late for him by that account. Jared Allen at 48. Uh... Sure. Yeah. I mean, screw it. Sign me up on that one. Allen was great last season. He was 32 per game, missed a bunch of time, but that's an awesome center to have uh, at the end of the fourth round. Christoph Porzingis to start the fifth round. I think he's going to have a really good season this year, actually. I'd rather have Jared Allen because of the likelihood he plays in about one more game per week than Porzingis, but you're talking about a an easy second rounder per game. That's where Chris Depps always is. He was 18 per game this last year. And then you just hope he can get to 60 ball games. If he does, you're golden. Terry Rozier is moving up the board. He's now going at 50, which does wipe out a lot of his value. Valanchunas at 51, a guy I've liked for a long time, but not so much this year. Desmond Bain, 52. That's fine. Christian Wood, dicey. Brandon Ingram, dicey. Clint Capella, dicey that early. Capella is someone I would look at in the sixth round or later. Tyrese Maxey, I'm a little bit worried that Mac. I know he had this big jump last year. I'm a little worried that some of the field goal percent stuff was fluky, but I guess we'll see. OG Ananobi towards the end of the fifth, I'm good with that. John Collins towards the end of the fifth, good with that. Wendell Carter Jr. was a very early, came off the board here. Um, like, I like Wendell Carter Jr., but... This was, this was surprising. Um, where did he actually end up last year? Eighty-three. I don't. I don't know what magically changes to catapult him up the board. He's not a super high defensive stat guy, contrary to what it might seem like. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, nah. Josh Giddy at sixty. Tanko Palooza out there. Franz Wagner, 61. Eh, no thanks. Jalen Brunson, 62. He's going... This wipes out a lot of his value if he's going in the 60s. I liked him in the 80s and 90s. Mikael Bridges at 63. That's a really safe one. Nurkic at 64. Cool with that. CJ McCollum at 65. This is back where I would actually consider him again. Because we saw him going in the 40s in early mock drafts. Now, if he really does fall 20 slots later, then we move him back onto the maybe we get him board. And Julius Randle, I want nothing to do with him. Jalen Green, mid-sixth? No. Alperin Shengun, mid-sixth. He got launched, catapulted up the Yahoo pre-ranked board and wiped out all of his value. But when guys like that move up the board, that means other guys move down. So now we have Jordan Poole here towards the end of the sixth round. I like him a lot there. Paolo Banquero, um, I don't know if I'm taking him in the sixth. Keldon Johnson, end six. I'm good with that. D'Angelo Russell, N6, that's fair. 
Tobias Harris has now fallen into the seventh round, and another guy that I was like, look, I don't think we're going to get any Tobias Harris's this year because I don't think he's going to be a 50s and 60s range guy. But now he's falling. He's falling. This is pick 73. If he falls past 75, suddenly old man Tobias is back on the radar. Really interesting adjustments here all the way around. Then Jakob Pertl, I like him in the seventh. Michael Porter Jr., yay. Ben Simmons, nay. Draymond Green, nay. Jeremy Grant, uh, mid-seven. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Neither yay nor yay. Tyler Hero, nah, he's not going to do much more. We saw what he, we saw his role. Because magical ball handler. Jalen Smith, mid-seventh. That's saucy with some of these names still out there. Jamal Murray, late seventh. Yeah, yes, please. Get him in the 80s? I know I'm thinking Roto Games Cap, but crap. That guy could go, you know, 30 range per game. 60-some-odd games. That beats this ADP. Clay Thompson, kind of the same story. Devin Vassell, N7. He's starting to go a little earlier. Same with Isaiah Jackson. I like both of those guys in this mid-80s range because now you're starting to run into it. Because early round eight, most of the safe guys are off the board. It's time now to go launch into your list of guys you just want to make sure you get. So Herb Jones is off the board here first. Not a guy we're targeting. I know he had a solid fantasy season, but things getting squeezed in New Orleans. If he eats Zubats, nah. Why? Why would he be this high? I don't get it. Mitchell Robinson? Sure, why not? Brandon Clark? Hell yeah, love him. Lonzo Ball? Beat up and bruised, but if you can get him in the eighth round, especially in Roto, he's worth a shot. Head-to-head, nah. JJJ in the eighth? That would tempt me, but he might miss the entire season with the way he heals. Andrew Wiggins? Nah. Kuzma? Nah. Jabari Smith Jr.? In the 90s? Yeah, I don't have a problem with you taking a shot there. There are other guys I'd rather get, but, you know, he's one of those dudes that could just jump off the board when you least expect it. Buddy Heald, feh. If he stays in Indy for any stretch of time, this is a pretty good spot for him. Keegan Murray out in Sacramento, I don't think he's going to do as much as as folks expect. That team is hunting playoffs. Sadiq Bey at 96, that's fine. Marcus Smart, great at 97. He was going in the 70s and 80s earlier, so he might be one of those falling guys we look at. Russ, no. Bamba, sure, in the ninth. Kevin Porter Jr., Actually, I'm okay with him in the ninth round. There's still guys I'd rather have. Trey Jones behind him. Eh, I don't think he's going to be as great as folks expect, but I'm okay with him here. Gary Trent in the ninth, I like a lot. Brooke Lopez in the ninth, I like a lot. Bobby Portis, that's fine. Rob Covington. He's not that safe this year, but in the ninth, that's fine. Kyle Lowry going way late this year. Again, much safer in Roto, but... Give me 60 games out of Kyle Lowry after the 100 mark. That's a wonderful roto grab there. P.J. Washington, I like it. Onyeko Kongwu, I don't think he's going to do that much. I think Atlanta needs the defense of Clint Capella, but the minutes will be closer to a split. It'll be probably more like 27-21, something like that. Al Horford, beginning of the 10th round, I like it. Anthony Simons, I like it. Mike Conley, I like it. We're getting late enough now where you just start hunting guys that are going to have minutes. Harrison Barnes in the 10th. I think he actually plays better this year because they'll have something to shoot for middle and late in the season. R.J. Barrett, points league darling. Gordon Hayward. We need a health report on him, but if he's even close to healthy, getting Hayward in the 10th with that team without Miles Bridges, this 
This is a, a knockout punch. I love it. Isaiah Stewart, I guess if you really want to make him worth a shot, fine, because now you're really running low on reasonable draft picks at this point. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, nah. Jared Vanderbilt, maybe. We don't know where he's going to end up. Josh Hart, sure, but boring. Someone auto-drafted Miles Bridges here. Monte Morris at 120, worth a shot. We're blitzing now. We're in lightning round mode, wrapping this thing up quickly. Uh, we'll go fast. Nicholas Claxton, sure. Isaiah Hartenstein, sure. Jaden McDaniels, meh. Walker Kessler, sure, why not? Norman Powell, nah. Markel Fultz, yes. Cole Anthony, no. Boyan Bogdanovich, nah. John Wall, eh. Jonathan Isaac, who we think is going to start this year playing. 11th round, yeah, sure, why not? Larry Markinen, now suddenly in Utah, so I like him here in the 11th. He'll probably go earlier. Aaron Gordon, no. Steven Adams, no. Reggie Jackson, no. Bogdan Bogdanovich, probably not. Although, with Herter gone, he kind of slots into whatever that was. So, DeJounte Murray doesn't completely obliterate him. JaVale McGee, no. Will Barton, no. Bruce Brown, maybe. Dylan Brooks, maybe. Colin Sexton is going to go a lot earlier. He went late, so this is great here, but the trade hadn't happened yet. Bones, sure. Kelly Oubre, no. Dorian Finney-Smith, I mean, he'll, be, he'll beat this ADP, but he's not going to be that interesting. Daniel Gafford, nah. Cam Johnson, nah. Wiseman, nah. Patrick Williams, sure. Why not in the 13th? Thomas Bryant, Chris Boucher, Jonathan Kaminga, DeAnthony Melton. I like Melton a little bit there in the last round. Bagley, Kevin Love, Victor Oladipo is kind of interesting. Jaden Ivey and then Spencer Dinwiddie are, are also somewhat interesting. So those, that last round, I mean, you can tell. By the end of the 11th round, there's nobody left. If you're in a, even a mildly competitive draft, by the end of the 10th round, there probably won't be anybody left. So at that point, it doesn't really matter what you do. Take a throw a, throw a big swing because you'll probably drop them in the first two weeks anyway. But one thing that I think we also learned from this draft, in addition to Yahoo moving all their names around and completely reshuffling the board, is that by the end of the seventh round, pick 84, you're now starting to hunt whatever is left. Okay, You don't even have to glance at the draft board. You take the guys exclusively based on where you think they're going to finish because you have no idea who's getting back to you. None. That happens between 75 and 85. Prior to that, there is a measure of adherence to the Yahoo pre-ranks. After that, there is none. Please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Subscribe to the podcast if you've been enjoying it and you're one of our newer listeners. Hey, throw a five-star review on that bad boy. I'd be most appreciative. And remember, the Sports Ethos Draft Guide is out and available right now, including player profiles on, I believe, almost 300 NBAers and counting. Minute-per-game projections are also loaded into the team previews. You've got some sleepers, guys that finished last year strong, called a second-half sensation article, and so, so much more. It also has football premium in it this year, the Fantasy Pass does. If you get that, uh, Brewski 150 coming out in about a month or so. A little bit more than that for Fantasy Pass, and a little bit more than that if you get the draft guy by itself. So again, if you're thinking about it, go to sportsethos.com strongly suggest doing so it powers our locomotive it's six bucks a month for six months basically you'll never even know it's there just like one time over the next six months when you were like yeah we're gonna order out tonight at the last minute go 
No, no, I'm not. And run down to your local Kroger or Ralph's and just pick up a roast chicken for nine bucks. And then, boom, you paid for your fantasy information all season long. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk pre-ranks on Monday. We'll get to the trade at some point, but maybe there will be more beforehand. 105 off-season episodes done. Welcome back, everybody. That's to everyone who's just tuning in now, you know, after skipping the off-season. I see you, and I love you. Listen the whole year. Listen whenever you like. I appreciate you all the same. I'm Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great weekend once again. We'll talk to you Monday.